And welcome to Mytho Ladies, a podcast where we talk about women's mythology and folklore all around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. So, Zoe, who are we talking about this week? All right, so today we are continuing our dive through women of Icelandic sagas. Ooh, okay. And we are talking about Gvutrun Osvif's daughter from the Laxdala saga. Okay. So. And what is that saga? So, I'm glad you asked. My first <laughs> section notes is called The Saga. Laxdala Saga is a saga of the people of the Laxardala Valley, or the Salmon River Valley, in- translated. Um, it's oh. a saga of Icelanders. Um, so again, that's a specific subset of Icelandic sagas that focus on conflicts between the early founding families of Iceland. It tells of the people of the Breithafjörður area of Iceland. It's a big ford in West Iceland. Uh, in the late 9th, early 11th centuries. And according to Google Translate, in case you're wondering, Breitha Fjordr just means wide fjord, so it's a big fjord. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so it was written in the 13th century around the end of a civil war between Iceland and Norway, right around when Iceland submitted to Norway, so it's got a pro-Norwegian royal bias. So it's second only to Njol's saga, a number of medieval manuscripts preserved, so it was likely very popular in the Middle Ages and is quite popular among scholars now. The nice. earliest complete record of the saga is found in the Muthri Matla book, which is a large collection of preserved sagas. And the saga has been regarded as, quote, unusually feminine, so it has been speculated Ooh. that it was written by a woman. That's um, amazing. So that's, I really like that. It's like the only saga I know of where that's considered, so I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. And... Also, the protagonist of the saga is a woman, so that's who we're going to be talking about. That's um, rare, as also. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, actually, one of the fun things that uh, my uh, professor talked about is that if it's called the the saga of the people of this area, then it's likely it's more likely to have a female protagonist as opposed huh. to the male protagonist sagas, which are just named after the main characters. So, like, Njal's saga is... Njal is the main character. And is saga... Saga the red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. So, fun fact. Um, and it focuses on relationships between men and women and is likely inspired by Arthurian romances, in particular, the theme of a love triangle, which Ooh. we will get into. Like most Icelandic sagas, it begins with a study of her ancestors as a preparatory ancestor sort of thing. So again, preparatory ancestors are a method of characterization used in Icelandic sagas, and they're basically a way of highlighting key traits that will be found in the protagonists and other characters in the sagas that are important and want to be emphasized. So, nice. Again, so you remember Oith the Deep-Minded? I sure do. She's back. She's back. Except this time they call her Un the Deep-Minded. It's the same person, okay. um, just a different name. Um, so it begins with the story of her father, Katil Flatnose, who's fleeing Norway 
and the tyrannical king, King Harald Tanglehair, who wants to conquer all of Norway. Hmm. And that's actually, that's a really common theme among sagas. Um, a lot of people came to Iceland as refugees trying to escape his violence and conquest and stuff. So. Interesting. So first she travels to Ireland and then to Scotland, and then her son Thorstein the Red becomes the ruler over half of Scotland. Um, eventually he dies, and she sails to the Faroes and the Orkneys, where she marries off her granddaughters to the ruling families there. Then she travels to Iceland. When she lands in Iceland, she meets up with a man named Helgi Bjolan, who is only willing to offer shelter to half her followers. She's got quite a lot of followers, because she's everyone loves her, and she's very wealthy. <laughs> okay. Um, and she's very offended by this because he's not willing to give shelter to all of her followers. Um, so she stays with another guy named Bjorn the Easterner instead. So when she settles in Iceland, she frees all her slaves and shares her land with her family and followers. It's nice. And she names, yeah. And she names her grandson Olaf her heir. She has a magnificent party and feast and celebration of her last granddaughter getting married. And then the next day she dies. Oh. Um, this, this is, like, over a longer period of time, but, like, I'm simplifying it because we need to get to the other details of the story. Um, so she was very poised, elegant, and dignified until the very end throughout her final feast. She greeted all her guests. Everyone remarked on how elegant and dignified she was. And she was overall a very honorable woman. So then the saga goes on to describe various female descendants and their lives. There's a lot too many to discuss in depth, but it's an important theme to note that... It always describes whether or not their marriages are happy, and if the woman is not happy in the marriage or does not choose to marry the man, then it's not going to be a happy marriage. So one important story involves a descendant of a guy named Olaf the Peacock. Oh. Um, he's different than her grandson that she... Why is he called the Peacock? Um, because he wears really fine clothes all the time. Oh. And the reason why he does that is because he's got a lot of insecurities because his he's the son of Melkirka, who um, was captured by his father as a slave, but then revealed to be the daughter of an Irish king. So actually, she has some status. Okay. So Olaf has a son named Kjartan, and he is the handsomest man ever born in Iceland. Ooh. So fun. the story says, yes. So the story says, no fairer or more handsome man had ever been born in Iceland. No man cut a better figure than Kjartan, and people were always struck by his appearance when they saw him. He was a better fighter than most, skilled with his hands, and a top swimmer. He was superior to other men in all skills, and yet he was the humblest of men, and so popular that every child loved him. He also had a cheerful and generous disposition. Of all his children, Kjartan was Olaf's favorite. Wow. So. So he's amazing. That's our boy Kjartan. He's, everyone loves him. He's He's handsome, he's super athletic, um, and also Olaf offers to foster his brother Thorleik's son, Botli, who is like Kjartan, but just not as good. <laughs> um, so in the saga it says, quote, next to Kjartan, he was the best at all skills and in other accomplishments. So yeah, he is Kjartan's brother, and he's basically like overshadowed by Kjartan constantly. <laughs> And that will be a theme. So then another thing that Olaf does is he forces his daughter Thurith into marriage with a man named Gjermund Thunder, or no the Noisy, depending on which translation you read. Either way, he's loud. Wow. Um, so, of course, as 
in all marriages in the saga where the woman does not get to choose. She is unhappy, and after three years, she steals Guillermo's sword, leg biter, and leaves her daughter and her husband. Oh. Um, so then Guillermo curses leg biter the sword, and he says, quote, it will be the death of that man and your family who will be most missed and least deserve it. And then later, Olaf also gets a message from an angry woman in a dream after he kills a four-horned ox, and she says, I will make sure you see a son of yours covered with blood. I will also choose the one whom I know you will least want to part with. Huh. So. So, like, there's the, it like a sacred ox or something? It's kind of unclear, like, um, I mean, obviously there's something special about him because he had four horns. But, like, and he used to use one of the horns as an icebreaker to, like, break ice off of things. Um, but then it broke off, the icebreaker broke off, and then he was like, well, I guess this isn't useful anymore, and then killed it. Wow, and then okay. they were like, no, you shouldn't have killed this special ox. Okay. So now you're cursed. So, now, with all that context, we're going to move on to the lady, Guthrun. So Gultrun is the daughter of Osvif, who is the great-grandson of Bjorn the Easterner. If you remember, he sheltered Un and her followers when she first came to Iceland. So she's the protagonist of the saga, as I said earlier. And she is, quote, the most beautiful woman ever to have grown up in Iceland. Oh, okay. And also she is, quote, no less clever than she was good-looking. She took great care with her appearance, so much that the adornments of other women were considered to be mere child's play in comparison. She was the shrewdest of women, highly articulate and generous as well. So, she's super beautiful, super smart, super dignified, like, articulate, generous, like, amazing. She sounds like a match for Kiartan. She sure does, doesn't she? <laughs> yes. So, when she's 14, she goes to speak to this guy named Gest Odlifsson, who is a renowned sage and sagas of Icelanders about four dreams she has had that have distressed her. So in the first dream, she's wearing an ill-fitting headdress that makes her uncomfortable. So eventually she throws it away. In the second dream, a silver ring that she's wearing on her arm falls into the water and disappears. In the third dream, a golden ring she had thought to keep longer than the silver ring breaks against a rock and begins to bleed. And she says that makes her think it was faulty to begin with, but it might still be whole if she had taken better care of it. Finally, in the fourth dream, she is wearing a golden helmet, covered in gemstones and beautiful, but too heavy for her to wear. So it rolls off her head and over the edge of a fjord into the water. Huh. So, guest Odlifsson interprets her dreams to represent her future husbands. So he says the first one will not be a good match, and she'll divorce him. The second one will be someone she loves, but she'll lose him, likely through drowning. The third marriage will have something wrong about it that she'll only realize after the husband's violent death. And then the fourth husband will be better than the previous three, but would also drown. Then later, he meets Kjartan and Botli, the two brothers, just being cool brothers together. And then after he meets them, his son finds them crying. Okay. So, on to the first husband... Ooh, which okay. has a trigger warning for abuse. Oh, all right. So, Vusrun is married against her will to a man named Thormald Haltorsson at the age of 15. Okay. So this is, like, right after she had these dreams. And it's a very unhappy marriage. He offers her little affection, and she's super demanding that he buy her things or do things for her. And eventually, he slaps her, and she realizes she needs a divorce. 
Yeah. So, mm-hmm. on to husband number two, which has a trigger warning for transphobia, in particular transmisogyny. So, while she's married to Thormald, she is falling in love with another man named Thorth Ingunarsson, who is also married. So they basically come up a plan with a plan to get divorced from both of their spouses. So basically, Thorth has an idea. Uh, Guthrun can make Thormald a shirt that is very low-cut. And if he wears it, she is able to successfully accuse him of cross-dressing and then get her a divorce. Wow. Okay. Which I guess was law at the time. Then Thorth does the same with his wife. On Guthrun's urgings, he falsely accuses her of cross-dressing and is able to gain a divorce. After that, they are married happily. However, Thorth suffers from his wife's violent revenge attempt, and he loses his arm. And so he eventually drowns through the witchcraft of a sorcerer named Kotkut and his family. He can't steer the ship properly due to his loss of the arm, so he drowns. And so after that, um, Gvuthrin gives birth to a son named Thorth the Cat, and she gives him to a man named Shnori Gwathi to be fostered. So... Gwathis are local government officials, um, and Shnori Gwathi is a recurring character in multiple sagas of Icelanders. He often serves as an impartial third party that offers good advice and help to protagonists. On to husband number three. So you remember that guy, Kiartan? Yes. He and Gwuthrun start seeing a lot of each other after her husband dies. How old is she at and, this point? Gosh, like 18 or something? I don't even know. Okay. But... Also, when they're hanging out, oftentimes Botley is tagging along. And everyone expects they're going to get married. They're like the it couple. They're the most attractive man and woman in Iceland. Kjartan's super strong and like great fighter, super nice. And Vuthrun is super smart and beautiful. And they're like the perfect match. So everyone's like, they're going to get married. But suddenly... Kjartan goes off on an expedition to Norway without warning. That really upsets both Gvuthrun and Kjartan's father, because suddenly he's gone, and they're like, why did you leave? Um, so they arrive to find out that the pagan king Hakon has died, and he has been replaced by king and Christian Olaf Tryggvason, who wants to convert Iceland to Christianity. And basically what Olaf Tryggvason does is he decides to hold Kjartan and his men in host- as hostages in Norway until Iceland agrees to convert. And Kjartan kind of allows this, because he gets a lot of favors with the king. Um, he gets a lot of, like, nice clothes. You know, he's dressing in scarlet. Like, and he's just chilling in Norway. Okay. Um, yeah, so that this lasts for three years. Um, and eventually, Botli is allowed to return. And Kjartan, when Botli leaves, he doesn't have any special message to give Gustrun. Even though it's been three years since he left her. And, like, they haven't communicated since... Mm. So, when he comes back, Botli tells her that Kjartan is in great favor with the king, and she shouldn't expect him back anytime soon. However, he also mentions that Kjartan has gotten close to the king's sister, Ingebjörg. Oh no. So, basically, he says, yeah, Kjartan's gone, you're not gonna see him for a while. Also, he's, like, definitely in with the queen right now, like, the king's sister right now, so, like... Give it up, basically. That's sad so, for, for Gvuthrun. Yeah. And so after that happens, Botli proposes to Gvuthrun, and she rejects him. Oh, okay. But what does Botli do now that the woman has rejected him? He goes over her head. Oh. Um, he asks Osvif and Gvuthrun's brothers, and 
they basically convince her to marry him, but she is, quote, reluctant in all respects and shows, quote, little affection for him after the marriage occurs. So that's her third husband. That's the third husband is Botli. So eventually Iceland converts to Christianity and King Olaf Tryggvason lets Kjartan leave. And he has an emotional goodbye with Ingebjörg, who gives him a beautiful headdress to give to Vuthrun as a wedding present. It's kind of a passive-aggressive gift because it's clear that she really likes him, but she knows he's leaving and she's not going to see him again. Mm -hmm. But when he returns to Iceland, what does he find out? That Botli is married to Vuthrun. Yeah. He finds out that Vuthrun is already married to Botli. And... When he comes back, Vuthrun is really upset and believes that Botli hasn't told her the whole truth about Kjartan's time in Norway, which is sort of the case and sort of not the case. Like, he told her um, some truths. He told her that he was in favor of the king and that he was into the sister, which is true. And he also kind of exaggerated, like, made it seem like, oh, there's no chance ever, which, like, might not have actually been true either in order to, like, marry her instead. And so one day, Kjartan finds a woman named Hrafna, who is said to be, quote, the most beautiful woman in all the northern country, trying on the headdress that Ingebjörg gave him. And so he decides to marry her on the rebound. Oh. And their marriage is one of, quote, great affection. So that's nice. That's nice. So there are tensions between Botli and Kjartan, however. Basically, one night at dinner, Kjartan insists that Hrafna wears her headdress and sits at the place of honor at the table which is a place that Gvuthrun is used to inhabiting. So she's really offended by this and turns red. And that night, Gvuthrun's brother steals Kjartan's sword, which was a gift from King Olaf. And it's eventually recovered in a swamp without the sheath. So, like... Oh. Um, and the sheath was supposed to protect him from all wounds. So, like, that was a big deal. Okay. <laughs> so Kjartan is very angry, but then his father, Olaf, convinces him not to pursue the matter. But then at the next feast... Harefna's headdress is stolen, and Vuthrun does not admit to the act, but she says that, quote, if it were true someone here was involved in the disappearance of the headdress, in my opinion, they've done nothing but to take what is rightfully belonged to them. <laughs> okay. So, like, the headdress is never recovered, but I do think it's heavily implied that, like, she stole it. It sounds like it. Uh, Kiratan refuses to accept this insult and begins to act aggressively toward Vuthrun and Botli. And so what he does is he stations guards around their houses for three days and prevents them from leaving the house. And in this time, they didn't have bathrooms inside their houses. They had outhouses. Oh. And so for three days, basically, they're forced to be inside their house and use the bathroom inside their house. That's so gross. So that's what he does in revenge. And then he also prevents them from... Th buying land that they really wanted to buy, which is a big deal because land is, like, one of the few ways you can show wealth in Iceland. Yeah. So, despite these serious insults, Botli refuses to retaliate against Kjartan, but Vuthrun threatens him with a divorce if he doesn't take revenge on Kjartan. Oh. Well, that's kind of so, sad for him. Yeah. His brothers. So, a revenge party sets out to attack Kjartan, and Botli is still reluctant and holds back. But if, when they're fighting, they attack Kjartan, and they start fighting him. But it becomes quickly clear that despite the numbers, they can't defeat Kjartan. He's just such a good fighter. Yeah. And they call for Botli to join them. So Kjartan goads Botli into joining him, makes, basically makes fun of him a bunch. 
And then once Boatley joins, he lays down his weapons and basically stands there defenseless in front of his brother. Wait, which and one? And Boatley kills him. Kyartan does that. Oh, okay. And so Boatley kills him, <gasps> but he immediately regrets it, and Kyartan dies in his arms. I honestly thought Kyartan was going to be the fourth husband. Well. Oh. <laughs> so, husband number four. Butley is spared being outlawed through his foster father Olaf's work. Um, however, Gvuthun's brothers, who w- participated in this big, like, revenge party uh, to fight Kyartan, um, are outlawed. Um, and Gvuthun has a son with Botli named Thorleik, and basically, so, like, this kind of implies they finally consummated their marriage after Kiartan's death. Oh. Okay. So after Olaf dies, Kiartan's brothers begin to conspire in revenge against Botli. Um, they're really upset that um, he's not outlawed and he's like, they just have to see him. They're really angry. Um, and they're led by their mother, Thorgerth, who says that their grandfather, Eya, if you remember me talking about him before, he's this grand hero of another saga. Oh. Super violent super good poet, and she basically says that their grandfather would never let a death like this go unavenged. So, they set out on a revenge party, and Botli is killed while Gvuthrun is doing laundry, and afterwards she speaks with great composure to her husband's murderers. And then she bears another son posthumously named Botli after his father. And now she's pleased with her marriage to Botli because she feels as though she's made him into a hero. Huh, okay. There's a new man named Thorgils Hotlusson who wants to marry Gvuthrun. And so, in order to win favor with her, he fosters Gvuthrun's son, Thorleik. However, another man, Thorkel Eolsson, demonstrates superior character to Thorgils. And so, basically, Snorigwathi plans to have Gvuthrun marry him instead. So, he advises her to have Thorgil's lead attack on the bo- the attack on Botley's killers with the false promise that she will marry him if he does. And she motivates her sons by showing them Botley's bloody clothes from the day he was murdered. Hmm. Which I think is a reflection of the laundry motif associated with Botley's death. Like, she was washing clothes while he was killed, and now she's showing his bloody clothes. I just think it's interesting. So, they succeed in killing Botley's killer, but they spare his son. And then Thorgil's tries to claim... Uh, but she reveals her plan to marry Thorkill instead. And the two get married and grow to love each other very deeply. So this is husband number four. However, eventually he drowns while transferring timber from Norway. Uh. Um, and there's this really great moment, which I thought was so funny, um, where basically his spirit appears to Gvuthrun while she's leaving church. And he's like, I have to tell you something. And she says something like, don't trouble me with this now. Like, she doesn't want to hear about her husband's death. But eventually, like, obviously she has to find out, and she's widowed once again. So she becomes very religious and spends the nights praying. And she becomes a nun and an anchoress, and the first woman in Iceland to do so, and she was the most noble woman of her rank in this country. And also, all her children have descendants that are prominent in the church. Sounds like Guthrieth. Yep, sure does. So one night, when she's very old and weighed down with grief, her son Botli returns after getting much success and wealth, and he asks her which man she loved the most in her life. So she discusses each of her husbands. She calls Thorkett most powerful of men and most outstanding, Botli most valiant and accomplished, Thorth wisest and most skilled in law, 
And then doesn't comment on her first husband, <laughs> Thormald. Because he sucked. Yeah. And then Botley says, but those are all husbands. I asked what man you loved the most. Okay. And Vuthrun simply responds, though I treated him the worst, I loved him best. And that's about the end of her story. Was it Kyrton? So, I mean, it's not said. I believe that's the implication, but you can discuss, you know, like, I choose which of them. to believe it was Kyrton because I wanted them to be together. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely, um, I think that the specification of Butley saying, okay, but what man, not necessarily husband, means that we're supposed to read it as the implication that it was Kyrton and not like any of her actual husbands. So I think that's really sad. It is very sad. It's sort of like a tragic love story. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, like, it's very tragic. Mm-hmm. With, I really like the whole, like, oh, I've been in love with Kiartan implication mm-hmm. thing. But, like, I had to settle for other people. Yeah. Like, imagine how much it would have sucked for her that her husband killed Kiartan. Yeah. Even though I guess she wanted him to do that, but still yeah but then she definitely felt bad about it afterwards i think i don't know um yeah i think she's pretty cool though mm-hmm. but yeah let's talk about that let's talk about that relationship yes so a lot of the stories of guthrun's husbands involve guthrun sort of asserting control over them so the first marriage um, with Thormald, um, he bas- she basically emasculates him by challenging his manhood, allowing for divorce. Yeah. And he also slaps her, which is an unmanly gesture. Women are passive and not- they're not supposed to fight with them. And so then in the next marriage with Thorth, he loves Vuthrun, but he also loses an arm due to her advice and actions, which could also be considered a form of emasculation in the marriage. She has too much power. And he ultimately dies because he doesn't have his arm. He can't sail the ship properly, and so he drowns. And so, in these two marriages, it's possible that Kiratan was watching this. So it's clear that Kiratan is being set up to marry Vuthrun next, but he runs away to Norway instead. So, like, some theories is basically, it's uncertain of whether or not he feels the way everyone wants him to feel about her and doesn't want to be subordinate to her. He doesn't want to be subordinate. He thinks because that... Because he can tell that Guthrun is sort of, like, much stronger, a less passive sort of person. Yeah. And also mm-hmm. a little bit manipulative as well. Yeah. So one of the things that's really important is that there's a ton of emphasis on Guthrun's intelligence throughout the saga. However, I don't know if you noticed this, but when I was reading that passage that described Kiartan's skills, it doesn't mention intelligence. Oh, okay. And neither is Botley. So it's possible that the reason why Kiartan doesn't want to marry her is because he's very insecure, like his father, Olaf the Peacock, and he doesn't want to be overshadowed by Gvuthrun's beauty and intelligence. Okay. So, she... He, like, he leaves, he doesn't send regards when he's in Norway, and he likely doesn't actually have strong feelings for her, even though she loves him. Oh. However, eventually he gains enough wealth and status in Norway that he feels he can be her equal and returns. By then it's too late, she's already married to Botli. And so this makes Kiratsan angry because now he can never be with the best woman. He can never truly be the best. Well, it's his own but, fault. 
Yeah, it is his own fault because he's too insecure, he's too vain, he wasn't willing to just marry her in the first place if he really loved her. But then, of course, does he actually love her or does he just view her as an object to further his own success and image? Mm. And so, but I do think that, like, there is the implication that Vusrun did love him, even if he might not necessarily loved her. And I also sort of wonder if there's, like, the question of, you know, like, the one man I never got to have is the one man I love the most. And treated the worst. Yeah. And then there's, the you know, the way that she, you know, retaliates. She sort of, she retaliates like a man, because she's been dishonored in, like, a really gross, invasive way, and Boatley doesn't want to do anything because he loves his brother too much, but... She's like, no, this was bad. This is dishonor. This dishonored us. We need to reclaim that honor. So she is the one who's pushing it. And that's also um, something we see with the um, other revenge campaigns. So, like, Thorgoth uh, was the one who was really advocating for Boldly's death and convincing her sons that they had to go kill him, even though they weren't necessarily super riled up about it before she started talking to them. And Vuthrun, again, convinced her sons to go and kill Botley's killer, whose name was Helgi, by the way. Um, And (laughs) so, like, it shows that women are definitely still involved in that quest for honor that's ever-present in Viking sagas and stories. That's interesting. And also, it's still, like, a gender distribution of power. You know, the men are the ones doing the fighting and the killing, but the women are using their wiles to make things happen. True. After Botli kills Kjartan, he's very upset, while Gvusrun is very happy. But she also taunts Botli about his lower status compared to Kjartan, and it's clear that she's still like the other brother all along. And Botli gets angry and says she doesn't care about him. But Gvusrun says that she likes him now that she knows he'll obey her. <laughs> okay. So she's willing to accept him as the subordinate member of the couple now that she knows what he'll do for her. Basically, she's not in it for love. She's in it for the power and the relationship. She knows that she'll be more powerful. And then that way, she's a little similar to Kiartan because she knows that she wants to have the power in the relationship. Mm-hmm. In a way, they are a very good match. Mm-hmm. And then in a way, it just doesn't really work because... Neither of them would be willing to submit to the other, and they would both want the other to submit to them. Which would be kind of funny to see. Yeah. Um, so also, the it's very much believed that this love triangle between Vusur and Botli and Kjartan is inspired by the love triangle between Lancelot, King Arthur, and Guinevere in the Arthurian legends. Okay. So that's just a fun fact. Wait, I don't so really have much more to say about it. Who's who? Um, so it's not like an exact, you know, match for match. But it's, like, basically inspiration of having a love triangle where all the characters care deeply about each other. Um, or, well, at least in this case, everyone really loves Kiartan. <laughs> like, Vuthrun loves Kiartan, Botli loves Kiartan, Kiartan loves Kiartan. Um, and <laughs> so basically, and that creates tragedy because that what makes, like, a good, like, tragic love triangle is that they all love each other. And so, like, when eventually tensions escalate and one of them has to die. It creates, like, this big tragedy soup sort of thing. It's like, he did it, but he regrets it. But then also, like, they wouldn't have been able to, like, live the way they were living at this point. So. Mm -hmm. And in a similar way, like, the tragedy between Lancelot and Arthur and Guinevere, like, King Arthur 
really try to deny that Guinevere and Lancelot were having a thing f- as long as possible um, because he loved both Lancelot and Guinevere so much that he didn't want to have to consider what he would have to do if he found if it was true mm. yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So some more fun facts. Um, there's a lot of comparison of this saga to the to Aeth Saga, which actually is an anti-monarchical saga about a hardy individualist and a narcissistic hero. So this saga is a lot more pro-monarchy, but it needs to be remembered and included. He's very confident. He's willing to challenge authority. He's willing to commit acts of violence in, in order to restore honor. And so it's believed that the author of Laxdala Saga was looking to create a female version of Eothuvuthun. Huh, okay. So, um, like, interesting in the ideas of mothers who are also community leaders and have complex emotions, which we see also in the character of Un the Deep-Minded, who is the preparatory ancestor. And one thing that really uh, stuck out to me when I was looking through my class notes was that we were talking about how Un the Deep-Minded gets angry when she's disrespected by Helgi Bjolan because he won't accommodate all her followers and so when we see angry woman in the saga it's a reflection of on the deep-minded anger justified anger about not being respected she shows very much like a very complex character that very much reflects the male characters in male protagonists and sagas you know she's very focused on honor and keeping her honor present uh, marriages to help preserve her honor um willing to manipulate the systems of honor into her advantage and willing to fight in order to uphold her family's honor or have other people do the fighting because she's a woman. Um, But then at the end, I think it shows that she sort of regrets what she's done. And that sort of is the catalyst for her conversion. Um, Or at least, like, Thorkhead's death is, like, the catalyst for her conversion because she believes he was the best one of all of them. He was a great man a very good moral man, and then she believes that she needs to become a better person and work for forgiveness for her past mistakes. And so when she becomes a nun and an anchoress, she's praying for forgiveness, I believe, for all the things she's done, in particular the things she did to Kiartan. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, did it have to do with, like, the conversion of Iceland to Christianity? Oh, oh absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, it was definitely also um, propaganda, but, you know... <laughs> Okay. But yeah, that's the story of Glusser, and she's a very interesting character. Um, I think she really develops a bunch over this series of, like, over this story, over her life, and kind of never really gets a chance to be happy, but she does a lot. Yeah, she's pretty cool. So thank you, Zoe, for today's episode, and thank you for listening, and please feel free to subscribe and leave a review, and yeah, thank you. Bye! Mythal Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies, and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you next week.